Okay, everyone, welcome. Thank you for joining. It's great having everyone over here in LA. It's raining cats and dogs. And that's a sign of big, big blessings. Baruch Hashem. Um, someone just told me that he, he, he uh, one of the um, Chabad Shluchim, they built a mikvah, a Camarillo, Rabbi Lang, a beautiful new mikvah. And, you know, for a mikvah, you need rainwater. In California, it's not easy. Because you go months and months and months. And he has a grand opening in two weeks. And he needed to fill up the, 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 the bar. And he says, after today, <laughs> he's good. He's good. He's almost there. After, I think by the time this storm is over, uh, he'll have his hole. So sometimes we wonder why all this rain. One mitzvah. Maimonides says that sometimes it's possible that a person builds an entire ma a, a palace. And he lives there for him, his children, his grandchildren. Maybe for, you know, the family lives there for 200 years. And then, you know, like, like many things, the neighborhood uh, falls apart, people leave, and the place falls in to become a ruin. And then one time there's, a, there's this fellow, a tzaddik, a righteous individual walking by, and he needs shelter in order to daven mincha. It's a quiet place. I was on the road today and I needed a place to daven mincha also. And it's raining like crazy. So you have to go under a place with a little shelter. So this righteous individual stops and he finds shelter in the ruins of this magnificent palace that once had hundreds of servants and parties and who knows what. And Maimonides says the whole purpose of it, when it was initially a God put into the mind of the person that built it, so that there should be a little space for this fellow after it would be a few hundred years later will be a place for this person to daven in. Now, why couldn't he, God just create him a, a, you know, a gas station with a little roof on it? Why not the ruins of a palace? Because Mincha is worth an entire palace. More than all the parties and all the other ridiculous, insane stuff that were going on there. It was all for this individual. So I'm sure the rains are coming to bring blessings to Rabbi Lang's new mikvah. And may it bring a lot of blessings. Once it's here already, may it be a blessed rain for everyone. Okay, that's off the topic. Anybody that wants to dedicate this class can still dedicate it. Um, post share for whatever you would like. And now we're going to read something very interesting. But before I'm going to pose, before we begin the parsha, we mention something interesting. And that is that, um, you know, you ever wonder, this is what we're going to come to hopefully at the end of the class. Why are children so antsy? They can't sit quiet for two minutes. Children are always all over the place. And I don't have a scientific um, um, study on this, but it seems to be that Jewish children are extra antsy and extra, you know, not that well-behaved. <laughs> they're, they're very, 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 ADHD, let's say. Um, do we know more than other children? I don't know. I know Jewish children. And uh, they are literally very, 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 very jumpy. And very, 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 they don't have what we call in Yiddish zitzflesh. Zitzflesh is the ability to sit. Or in the literal meaning, it means they don't have enough padding to sit. So they're always jumping and all over the place. So what is the what is the reason of that? A deeper reason, not the medical reason, but a deep, deep spiritual, godly reason for that. 
So we're going to find out something really phenomenal. And it relates to this week in the parsha. We have um, Hashem is sending Moshe. We, we, first of all, we begin reading a new, a new book. So in this book, it says Hashem says to Moshe, go get the Jewish people out of Egypt. Um, so in chapter 4, verse 22, Hashem assigns Moshe to the task of getting Yidden out of Mitzrayim. Says, Vamarta al Paro, say to Pharaoh, say to Paro, Koi Omar Hashem, so says God, Bini Bechoidi Yisrael. My son, my firstborn Israel. Which means Jewish people are called God's firstborn child. Rashi says it doesn't mean the oldest, it means my great son. I have many children, but they are my preeminent child, my great child. My very, very special child. Okay, this is important. As we start reading the story of the Jewish people, we're going to read the Exodus. We're going to read all the astonishing things that God does, has done for us by taking us out of Mitzrayim, giving us the Torah, bringing us into the land of Israel, performing all the miracles, and then uh, the rest of it, and which, and then laying out all of our obligations in the keeping of Torah and mitzvahs. We have to understand and appreciate the essence of our relationship. And here we find that God refers to Israel as his child, which is very unique and very special. The interesting thing is not very unique and very special. It is extraordinary to be a child, and especially according to Hasidic interpretation, Kabbalistic interpretation. It doesn't just mean figuratively. It doesn't just mean metaphorically. It literally is so. And this is referring to the Jewish soul. It is literally a piece of God from above, just like a child is a piece of the father because a child is derived not just from the physical from physical uh, procreation elements of father and mother, but the truth of that procreation power of the father is derived from the father's brain, and which is the seat of the soul. So literally there's a piece of a father and a piece of a mother in their child. The child is of the essence. So in that sense, we literally come from God's essence. And that's the meaning of being a child. So that's great. The unique, the question we have today is, why is it referred to what's interesting over here is my firstborn or the word Bechor, and according to the understanding now, is referring to my great child. My son, as we said earlier, my uh, pre preeminent child. The greatest of my children. Now, what makes someone the greatest of, of your children, amongst children? The most accomplished, right? Someone who is really, you know, a person can have many children. And then one of them is like a shining star, excels in so many things. And that's, in a sense, they're like a unique child. They become like the obsession of the parents. And that's what God is kind of conveying over here, that the Jewish people are his pre, uh, preeminent child. The, the, question of that is that we find that in other places that when it comes to the quality of being a child uh, that that greatness and that um, uniqueness is more expressed in a little child than in a developed child there's a verse in isaiah not in isaiah in hoshea Isaiah's yeshaya hoshea Chapter 11, Perek, this is in Treyon, certainly the 12 books. 
Um, Hoshea chapter 11, Pasuk Aleph. First, the verse of chapter 11 in, in Hoshea. It says, Kinar Yisrael ve'oi havehu, ve'oi havehu. Israel is a young, a young lad or a little infant, and I love him. Which makes a lot of sense because the love, the parent-child relationship and the love that there is from a parent to a child is the uniqueness of a parent-child relationship is stronger when a child is a baby. And as we love our children their entire lives, but there's a particular depth of affection and love that comes out when children are very tiny and they're very small. And therefore we do find that God's love for Israel is one of a little baby. Again, I just brought you, brought you a verse, Kinari Yisrael, that Israel is a youth, a young lad, by the when I love him. And this is also emphasized in Midrash. There's a Midrash in Sefer Devarim, in Deuteronomy, Pere in Parsha Shoftim, Perek Vav, Perek, it's, it's Parsha Hei, Perek Vav. Here, here's the beautiful thing. I'm, gonna, I'm Rebbe Levi. Rebbe Levi says, what is this matter compared to? Listen to this beautiful midrash. To a king, he had many children. He loved the little one. The little one was most precious to him. We were just talking about last week about Binyamin. The whole share we gave last week was about Benjamin. When we read in the Torah, we see how much, even though Yaakov has 11 ch children, besides Yosef who disappeared, he has 11 children. He allows them all to put their lives in danger, but the one of them that he's freaking out on is all about Benjamin. Why? Because it's his youngest child. And we find, okay, and he calls him my youngest boy. Achinu Akata, the brothers say to Yosef, if our youngest brother leaves our father, he will surely die. And our father is like tied, his soul is tied with his. Now, in addition to the fact that he was the only child left over to his beloved wife, Rachel, Rachel, and in that sense, we can say that's the reason why the unique overpowering love and overbearing love to Binyamin, but it has also to do with the fact that he was the baby. And always kids, kids, children always know that the youngest child is always the spoiled one. The youngest child always gets away with everything. It's just because there is this overwhelming forgivingness to the youngest child because there is an intensification of the love on, on the youngest. And, in it, and particularly when the youngest is a baby. So the Medrash says over here that God loves the youngest, and I'm sorry, that a king, he had a king, he had many sons, and he loved the youngest more than all of them. Now the king has many, many fields and gardens and orchards, but he has one particular garden, and one particular orchard that is most precious to him. He loves this orchard. This is like his prime jewel from all of his real estate. The king says, I will take this most precious piece of real estate, my precious orchard that I love more than anything else in my world, and I will give it to my infant child, my young child, who I love him more than all my children. And this is a, 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 a metaphor why God particularly takes judgment, mishpat. God says, I love judgment very much. And God gives the judgment to the Jewish people. Give yourselves judges. In other words, the Jewish people were gifted with 
a, a system of law that is very meticulous, which is something that is very precious to God, and he gives it to his baby child. So we see clearly that the affection that God has to Israel, to, to the Jewish people, is compared to an infant. So the question is, how do we reconcile that with the first time we are called children in the Torah? This is the first time the, uh, the Jewish people are referred to as God's children. And over here, the quality that is, that is mentioned is not the quality of being a little child or being a little infant, but rather the, the, pro the, the prominence of being a accomplished child. As we said earlier, firstborn in the sense, my oldest child, my most developed child, the child that I can be most proud of based on all that you've accomplished. That seems to be very different than loving your baby child, um, which is really expresses the essential love that parent has to children. Because, because here's the idea. Why is, I mean, if, if a parent loves a child, because the child and the parent are really one. Uh, uh, the love to our children is really self-love. Our parents love us because we are them. We love our children because they are us. And, and, and it's almost a, a, a level where, 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 it's, it, where, it's, where it's impossible not to love. It's, it's intrinsic. It's who we are, what we are. So, but why is it that, it, that, it's, that it's more intense with a baby? And with a young child, and in many children are the youngest of children. The reason for that is as follows. Precisely because this is a love that's not based on any qualifications. It's what we call an unconditional love because it's not based on any, any qualities that a child possesses, that a person possesses. When all of our relationships are based on our, our mind, our mind detects certain qualities in the people that we forge a bond with, the people that we connect to. We love something about them. And that thing that we love about them is what is the basis for our bond with them. I love your humor, I love your lightness, I love your 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 depth, I love your wisdom, I love your 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 character, I love your kindness, I love your generosity, I love whatever. There's so much, I love you, whatever, so much aspects that a person can love, which is the basis, which causes, which is the the foundation of all our relationships. With our children, it's a different story. You don't love your child because your child is smart or because your child is cute or because your child is, 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 is good and nice and, and such a tzaddik. Our love for our children is just because, for no reason at all. Because I don't love myself because I'm cute, I'm smart, I'm nice, I'm wonderful. I love myself because I look out for myself, even if I'm ugly, even if I'm dumb, even if I'm Whatever, ever, ever negative element, God forbid, a person can have, you still love yourself because you are you. And that's why you love your children. Now, how, when, however, so here's the story. When our children develop themselves, they grow older, and they start becoming lovable based on their own qualities. In other words, they reach a maturity and they excel in intelligence. They become very wise and very smart and they become like they, they, they pass all their exams and they graduate with, 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 with flying colors and they become and they reach the highest levels of whatever expectations we would like them to, to reach. Now they reach in beyond what we've ever wanted from them. And then they become the biggest lawyer and the biggest doctor or the biggest politician, or God forbid, or the biggest 
whatever it is that they become so so the biggest scholar or the biggest rabbi or the biggest saintly person whatever it is so now you have a reason to love them now it's not only you love them because they are you now your love is now transmitted into your mind and you begin to love them because of qualities now that's fantastic but on the other hand that itself obscures it hides the unique the unique love where you love your child for no reason at all just because you're a child so where do you, where do you find pure unobscured uncovered the purest unadulterated love of a parent to a child that's not based on anything in an infant a little baby that's five months old eight months old who cannot who hasn't accomplished anything who hasn't done anything who hasn't shown fine character traits who hasn't developed yet developed themselves yet mentally intellectually and and and, and become a wise child i mean they're cute maybe maybe not that much you know all parents think their children are the cutest because the reason you think your child is the cutest because they're your child so at that point there's no they are really not lovable based on any reason what are you left with there is nothing to cover there is nothing to obscure the only thing that's now evident is the pure love and because self-love and as an extension of that our love to our children is the most powerful love because it's really limitless whenever there is a love based on a reason then there is a certain price a value if i love you because you're smart then how smart are you <laughs> there's a limit how smart you are there's no one that has ever been smarter than you king solomon was smarter so then i will love king solomon if i only have a chance to be in a relationship more than i love you in other words whenever the love is based on a reason there is a that there's there's a set value how good are you how kind are you right if i love because of kindness it's possible to be kinder and when you become kinder i will love you even more so then it's it's measured and it's limited and it has an end but when i love you for no reason at all just because you're you, you're me i love me with without an end and therefore i love you because you are me without an end and that's the reason why we find that you love your little babies and the youngest of children we find a deeper attachment not because the parent inherently loves this child more than the other children it's just because it's more out in the open the parent is more conscious of it and the reason they're more conscious of it because there is nothing else the, the love cannot be transported to a more external realm it has to remain on the essential level and that's the reason why love to a baby now that's why we find an interesting thing that when parents sometimes have children with special needs or children that have really really challenged children that are um in situations where they don't have much development at all they're 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 mentally um uh you know undeveloped and they, they become physically undeveloped and so on and so forth we find many times that these parents are devoted to we can see such limitless love crazy love which you don't always see that parents have to children that are healthy and, and, and good and, and, and developed and so forth special needs children get special love
It's not always the case, but in many, many, many cases. That's the same idea. Because when there is nothing about your child to love other than that they are your child, then the love is limitless. If that's the case, so then we makes the question and we understand why. And the same applies to God and Israel as well. God can love us because we are the most devoted of all people. Because we stood at Sinai and we accepted his mitzvot and his Torah and all the other nations said to God, thanks, but no thanks. When everybody else rejected, God can love us because we are a very generous people. God can love us because we are a very, very, very wise people. And history has proven the wisdom of Israel, their contributions to the development of the world. Take a look. All, all you need to do is take a look at the percentage of what we call um, uh, Nobel, Nobel, Nobel Prizes. And it's, it's, it's astounding um, the amount that have been, have been, have been, have been collected when, when, by, by the Jewish people, even though they are such a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction, yet so much, so much accomplishments. So God's love for Israel could be for all these things. And when we are righteous, and when we learn Torah, and when we do mitzvot, and when we are, yes, following in the ways of God, and we become saint, we are a saintly people, a good people, a wise people, in the way that God wants us to be through his Torah and his mitzvah observances, then of course God loves us because, and he's very proud of us, and he shows off with Israel how special his child is, how beautiful they are. he is, he or she is. That's true. But then there is another level of God's love to Israel, which is, as we said before, it's an essential love. The true love has nothing to do with our human developments and our character development. It has only to do with the fact of our neshama, of our soul. And the soul is a piece of God from above, as mentioned earlier. And on that level, God's love to the soul is self-love. It's as, like he loves himself, he loves the soul boundlessly and infinitely. And it is irrelevant on our behavior. And that's why we find various different statements in the sages where God says, you know, you behave, you misbehave, you're, 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 you're doing well, you're not doing well, I can't help but love you because you're my child. And therefore, the, the Midrash says, God says, just like a person is very forgiving for his infant child or for his youngest child, God too forgives Israel all the time just because they're his child. And he can't help but, you know, overlooking sins. That's, so if that's the case, that brings us back to the question. So if that's true, so why would there be an emphasis right when God is taking us out of Egypt, right at the beginning, on Bechori? Now the word Bechori, when God calls us Bechor, as we spoke before, mentions the pre, a preeminent son, a developed son, a son who's very accomplished. We actually see that in the Midrash as well. The Midrash says over here in Yalkut Shemayni, this is a Midrash in Mishlei, when here the Midrash brings Bini Bechori, that we are called Hashem's um, firstborn son, the, this title of Bechori has to do with Sinai, with the tremendous and 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 um, our 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 uh, our great value that we stood at, at Sinai and we accepted the Torah. Look at it. Hold on here. Oh, how do we know we're called children? On what merit are we called as children? 
שבכרו מייסם טובים לפני הקדוש ברוך הוא בסיני. שבכרו, בכרו means um, we produced first, first fruits to God. Meaning there are many, many others, nations and people that have presented God with various different beautiful fruits and accomplishments. But Israel was the first one to give God a little bit of nachas, when we say that, a little bit of satisfaction. The good deeds that we did, that we did at Sinai was, was what makes us be called Bechori. If we're called Bechori based on the good deeds that we've done. So how does that fit with the more deeper quality of God's love for us, not based on our qualities, but God's love for us just because we're his children. So um, now it's important to note that we're not just considered God's child, where the love of us is like a parent and child only when we're undeserving and we're sinners. That would be really bad. Because what we're really saying is the moment we start achieving and you know, we start accomplishing what, and our qualities start being noticed, the moment we start making something out of ourselves, then we lose the uniqueness of a relationship of being God's child. Because he's not loving you as a child, he's loving you because of the goodness that you do, because of the kindness, because of your good character, because of your wisdom or whatever it is. So he's, so these are, so it, it, it wouldn't make any sense at all. It almost would be that we should stay immature, we should stay undeveloped, we should stay, uh, we should stay really, really simple and not develop in any way and and, and 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 remain the cute little baby in God's eyes he will love us forever just because we're little babies and that, and that obviously is insane to say that because then any accomplishment and anything we do following the Torah and mitzvahs would only be distancing our relationship not increasing our relationship so that doesn't make any sense so we have to say that um obviously we can still maintain the child element and be a little cute child in god's eyes if when we serve god and we develop ourselves and when we grow but we do not sense our own development it's not it's not it's not something that is like very 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 much um um we're, we're not we're not so cognizant we're not so aware we're not we're not flashing that you know who we are and what we are we remain in our own eyes we remain tiny and small so if in our own eyes we remain tiny and small and therefore we don't see any 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 of our own great developments we don't see that we're that we've grown in our our in our mind we don't feel that we've become a a a a, a very very refined human being if we feel that and we know that and we present ourselves that way so then in our relationship with god and we're we are we feel and we sense very strongly that we have become a somebody, and then and if we really have become something, God will love us because of the somethingness that we've become. But then we're limiting the love to whatever achievement and whatever accomplishment we've accomplished. But if we can forever remain small in our own eyes, in other words, we recognize how we haven't really done too much. We haven't really grown anywhere close that we should have. We haven't really made. So therefore we feel very undeserving. And in that undeserving, we approach God in prayer and we approach God whenever we're reaching for him like a little child. 
then notwithstanding our developments and our achievements, we can still be a child. So that can possibly explain, okay, grow, develop, become a somebody, reach, and, and, and yet it won't disturb, it won't ruin your relationship. You will still be God's little girl. You will still be Hashem's little boy. Because that's what you feel. You feel childless. You feel, you feel small. In other words, it's the humility, it's the tininess that we need to retain in order to be that little child. So this can possibly help us a lot. That we don't have to remain, God forbid, undeveloped spiritually and unrefined spiritually and ignorant and, and claim that we're simple and we're cute forever. We need to grow. It's just that we recognize we, we don't pay attention to that growth so that we can always remain a child. But it's still problematic. Because why is that problematic? That would mean that whatever we're achieving and growing and developing is not a reason for increased love. It's actually a reason for a diminished love. <laughs> in other words, you're trading in infinite, boundless, divine love, love on a godly level, where God loves you because you're a piece of him. You're trading it in for some, for some goodness for some human goodness, for some limited achievement. Okay, even if you're very wise, but how wise are we? <laughs> In the scope of the infinite, even if we're very, very refined, but how refined are we? Very limited. What we are saying now is, as long as we don't make a to-do of it, God will still love us with a simple love. Yeah, but what is with all that development? Is that all for nothing? According to that, become, grow, develop, but don't you dare know it, because if you do, you're ruining everything. So keep yourself. <laughs> so it's almost like all that the Torah wants us to grow and develop is not in any way an enhancer in our relationship with God. At best, if we're good, we can ignore it. <laughs> and then it, won't, then it won't mess things up. Does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense. Because Torah wants us to become smart, and Torah wants us to become intelligent. The Torah wants us to become a scholar, and it wants us to grow, and it wants us to refine our character traits and become good people and nice people and kind people and disciplined people and, 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 and everything else that we need to be, and, and compassionate people, and devoted people, and dedicated people, and so on and so forth. So how does this really work? Does it really mean that all these achievements take us away from being God's cute little child? So the answer is absolutely not. The truth is the opposite. We can become more, more infinitely loved and more infant loved the more developed and the more we grow, the more our infant cuteness of our soul could only increase, should increase and grow in the development of self. And it's not despite our development that God will love us, more as a child with a essential parent-child love, it's not despite our growth and our development, but it will be because of our growth and development. And yet, all, although it is true that whenever there is self-development and, and there is a, a, an accomplishment, accomplishments naturally 
as we find in human relationships, are supposed to obscure. They're supposed to cover. That's what happens when you love your children because of their qualities. You're blocking your essential love. Yet in our relationship with God, it should do and it does the opposite if our growth as a Jew is in the correct way. And that is the reason why God calls us my child, my preeminent child. Because the ultimate expression of our essential love to God will come out even stronger in our preeminence, which means in, in the development of everything that we can possibly develop ourselves. But it's based on one key and one key. It's so important. And that is as follows. Why do we develop ourselves and why do we grow? And why should we become a nice person? Why should we become a good person? Why should we become compassionate? Why should we become wise? The normal answer is because it's good for you. It's good for you to be good. It's good to be wise. It's good. So the, and, and God has given you opportunity. So make the most of that opportunity. God gave you a mind, gave, gave you a heart. Develop that heart. And not only that, God gave you a beautiful soul. In that sense, you know, make the most. This is an, an unbelievable opportunity to grow, to develop. What else is going to be to your life if you don't develop yourself? What, a little money that you have, a little this, yeah, what's that? Personal development, that's what counts. So do all these things so that you can be all that you can be. That's wonderful and that's great, but that's not the Jewish way at all. The Jewish way in becoming a great human being has nothing to do with us and nothing to do with me being all that I can be. It's rather very simple. You're a little piece of God. If you're a little piece of God and you're a reflection of God in this world, because you're a soul, you're a extension of God in this world, you are responsible to make sure that that godly spark in you is shining with all of its brightness and is as beautiful and as attractive as it possibly can be. So if there is some ugliness in our character, we better get rid of it. We must get rid of it. It's a responsibility to get rid of it. Why? Because you are a piece of God in this world. And God cannot be ugly. And God should not be foolish and god should not be cruel and god should not be insensitive it's nothing to do with me or you or all any one of us this is god's business because as a child we are his children which means we are him and being him comes with an enormous responsibility so why do i study and why do i learn not because i want to be something it's not because of my human self it's because of my divine spark. It's because my attachment, because, because I'm a child of his, because of that essential oneness that I have inherently, that's prompting me. So it, 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 with parents and children, it's usually not that way. It's, it's you know, when children are, are very young, they don't have a self yet. They haven't developed much of a self. Their identity is more they belong to their parents. I'm my, who are you? I'm my parents' child. That's how they identify themselves with when they're very young. They're, 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 they're not so much of a self because they're very feel that they're, they're tiny, they're insecure. Their father, parents protect them and watch them and feed them and take care of them. So children naturally at the very young age will 
go about their lives with obedience to their parents. Children naturally, children have obedience. It's only when children start becoming a little smarter and they start becoming smart Alex. But when they're when they're when they are very young, it's natural that a kid, I mean, of course, kids need a little discipline here and a little discipline there, but it's very, very natural and organic for a child to listen to their parents, to do as they're why? Because their identity is very much still the identity of the parent. And, and that's why they're under completely, and they do it willfully. They're under the jurisdiction of their parents willfully and happily. Once they start, and that's what happens in a teenager. Why are teenagers so difficult? Because teenagers start feeling themselves. Once you start becoming a somebody, that you want, you don't want to, you don't want to, you want to pull away and disconnect from your parents. You don't want your identity to be your parent. You want to have your own identity, and therefore you have to do everything the opposite of your parent to the point that you have to annoy your parents like crazy because you need to prove to them that you're not them, right? And and, and if and therefore at that we be, let's say we don't choose to do ridiculous things when we're teenagers, but instead we become very very. Um, driven to be to succeed in life, it's not it's not the success of my parents' life. It's the success of my life. It's I want to be a successful being. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be an inventor. I want to be famous. I want to be I want to be something. I want to oh so then on that level then the the child becomes separated from their parent. They become their own person. Now, does a parent divorce their child? No, I will love you. But why will I love you? Gone, or at least to a certain level, to a certain degree, gone is that essential love where you are me. Because right now, I you don't experience yourself as me. You experience yourself as someone other than me. But now I can love you. Why? Because you're such a wonderful child. You're such a wonderful person. Look what, look, look at my child. Of course, you still feel that this is your child. But it's 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 the accomplishments and the and of the other that you're so proud of. With our relationship with God, it's never supposed to be that way. If it becomes that way, then we remain really, really small. It doesn't mean that God won't love us. He will love us, but that love is very, very measured and very, very small. The real connection and the real uniqueness and the real Torah way of growing and becoming and reaching the greatest heights is if it's not about us to begin with. It's about the fact that we are a royal member. And as royalty, this is the way we ought to behave. Now, that's not always comfortable for everybody. We're watching that in the news, in the royal family, where you have the prince, Prince Harry is like, <laughs> doesn't, is not confirming with the, with the, didn't marry, uh, exactly into whoever the royal family dictated to him to marry and he's not interested kind of in being that and the family is actually disowning him for that uh, that's that's what i've been reading in the news now so um but with god and the jewish people it's it is our essential bond and oneness with hashem that should and drives and that should be the impetus in all of our development so whenever you're studying Torah and you're increasing your knowledge, the motive behind beyond it should be 
Not that I should know the whole Torah, so I should be so smart. Not that I should be a great rabbi. Not that I should be a great scholar. Not even that I should think like God thinks because then I can agree with all that God says. Then it makes sense to me. And I can do all the mitzvot in a way that I too agree to what Hashem wants. These are all retaining or, or, or interfering between the oneness that you have with Hashem. That's not the motivation. It's the realization and the understanding that I am one with Hashem. My soul is a piece of Him. And therefore, how can a godly soul, a godly being, not be wise? How can I not be intelligent? Now, of course, I have to deal with the brain that God gave me. Some people, God gifted them with a sharper brain, some with a lesser brain. But whatever physical brain I have, I'm going to work it to the very, very utmost. So God forbid I should not in any way portray the divine as something less than perfect and less than than an enormously god not perfect but the the biggest perfection that we can reach and the same is with every bit of development of character trait and all aspects all the development is not an it's not a personal project it's an extension it's a continuation in its it comes from a deep sense of obligation to who? To yourself, but not to your external self as you see yourself as something other than Hashem, but rather as you and, and all of us as being, an ex being God's children and therefore being God's, Hashem's presence in this world is through the Jewish people. So we must be as godlike as possible. So of course we should be the wisest of all people. Of course we should be the kindest of all people. Of course we should be a role model for the entire world. But not in any way should that be out of ego. Not in any way should that reflect any bit of haughtiness. It should be just absolutely pure, absolutely. God should come through and all these qualities, not self, a purely divine projection. People should say, a God's people. That's what it is. God's children. That's what's so beautiful. That's what's so awesome. In this sense, every bit of our development is not furthering a self. It's furthering the fact that you're a child. It's expressing that we're children. And therefore, it is not in any way jeopardizing the essential bond. Because in everything that we achieve and everything that we grow, God is seeing it as his own achievement, not like someone other. So it's the love that he has for a child. Why do you love your child? Because it's you. And in that you is sensed in every little bit of, how, of whatever we achieve, whatever we accomplish. It's, it's, it's Hashem. It's God's, can, God's love. And, and in a sense, if we do not develop, if we do not grow in our Judaism, grow in ourselves, grow in our, then our, then the very core of our inner being, the very, very deep, deep, deep inner core, the nucleus of our being is divine and God loves that with an infinite love. But the externality of our being, the outside, the, the external of per, per, person, the outer being with all, with all the features, there's nothing godly about that. But if every aspect of our life is reflecting that divine, being a child of Hashem, is extending into every aspect, all the way down to all thought, speech, and, and behavior. Thought, speech, and behavior, intelligence, emotions, the entire spectrum of human experience is not human experience, but divine experience expressing a godly soul. 
as a child of God, then the child element is extending to every fiber of our being, even to our toenails. So you're actually expanding that peace of God and that essential core love into, into the most detail and the most, so it's an expansion of it. That's why, says the Rebbe, an amazing teaching. He says, we find that the Talmud tells us that, um, oh, I'm, let, me, let me, before we get to that, that's why we find an interesting thing. Which mitzvah in the Torah, which mitzvah in the Torah is the most about personal development? Like which mitzvah? Can you say give tzedakah? Okay. The, the, what, that which brings about the greatest self-development has to be the study of Torah. Because Torah makes you grow. The more Torah you learn, the more you know. Now you can work on your character. Now you can refine. So Torah knowledge, knowing and studying and learning, that's the growth of a person. And isn't it interesting that all the mitzvot of the Torah were not obligated when we are a little child? You don't start your obligation of a mitzvah until you become bar or bat mitzvah, 12 or 13 years old. The only mitzvah where there is a biblical obligation, even when we're young. Now, we know that we do have our children do mitzvot even when they're younger little children six seven years old are lighting hanukkah menorahs are eating in the sukkah shaking the lulav little girls are lighting shabbos candles even though they're not yet bat mitzvah and so on and so forth but we know that's all based on rabbinic uh instruction the rabbis instituted that what wow, that we should have the mitzvah of chinuch chinuch means education at a younger age so that we don't we don't get dropped upon 613 commandments in one second so we need to get practice we need to get a head start but the only mitzvah that's definitely there is no argument it's a definite that it's a mitzvah for to start at a very young age sages say that when a child the sages derive from a verse from the torah torah it's evil on emotion that when a child teach it to your children as soon as your child begins to talk start teaching him verses of Torah as soon as your child that means Torah study begins with a little child which is really interesting children as we said earlier are not so adult is is the time of self-development and growth child is as we said earlier child is infancy young childhood is a time of being being connected to your parents because your parents said so but you're not yet ready to develop that much to grow and at least on a mental and mature way and to take it even more even the mitzvah for adults to study torah where do we know it's a mitzvah to study torah is there any verse in the torah explicitly saying that we should study torah you know yes one you know what that verse is you should teach them to your to your little children from the mitzvah that it says you should teach your little children Torah, from there we derive that a person should study Torah all the Vidibar Tabam, and you should speak in them. That means that the whole mitzvah of teaching 
of, of learning yourself all your life. It's a mitzvah for a person to study Torah, and it's all derived from the mitzvah of teaching children. And the reason for that is so essential, so important. The Torah precisely connected the mitzvah that is most connected to self-development to, to, to children and to little children because it wants you to develop with the attitude of a little child, with the attitude of a little baby. Your identity as a little baby, as a little child, which is not your personal identity, it's your parent, it's your parents' identity. With that from that place and from that state of mind and from that uh, impetus, from that motivation, where the motivation is not about self, but about your parent, from there is where we grow and from there is where we develop. And that will change everything because that will mean that everything we have become and everything we've grown, as we mentioned earlier, is not us, it's a conduit for God's greatness in this world. And then it's truly Jewish and it's true and it's infinitely great. With this, we will conclude and understand. Um, oh, now this further will explain something really, really unique. And as I mentioned earlier, One of the main characteristics of a little baby, of little children, is that little children are naturally subservient and obedient to their parents, as we mentioned earlier. And that has to do with the state of infancy where they are still, again, just like, just like the love of a parent to a child is very strong in an infant. Why? Because there's no, there's no separation between them because the, the child has not yet become a separate individual the child is still an extension of the parent from the child's perspective as we mentioned earlier it also expresses itself in the fact that the child is so attached to the parent you know doing their own thing but very much very much in 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 in, in compliance to what the parents want them to do but yet we find a complete opposite nature when it comes to children. Something that demonstrates the total opposite. And that too is the right. Now, now here's a very important thing. Every single thing that we find in human nature, in all of our, even our basic instincts, are all taken um, the spiritual, they're trans because the whole physical world is a translation of spiritual ideas. Things begin in the spiritual and then they manifest in the physical. So, for instance, the idea that we mentioned that parents, that there is parent child love. So, we're used to thinking that if this parent child love, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a fact. Parents love their children. Now, God loves the Israel, God loves the Jewish people. Well, that too, we need, a, we need a metaphor, we need to compare it to something. So we say it's like a, a, a parent loves a child. It really is the opposite. 
because God has a child and he loves that child, he created the world to mirror and reflect that divine truth. So that's the reason why parents love children, because God loves this child. In other words, it doesn't, it doesn't work like we, these are things that are real in this world, and then God also borrows this for himself. It's the opposite. Because this is, because this is real above, it becomes our reality. So all parent love, children love is a derivative of God's love to, the, to, to, to his child. So once we have that, now let's take that a step further. We will find a certain character trait when it comes to children which is which is seems to be opposite of a child not having their own identity and that is when children are very young they love to ask questions when they get older they think already they can figure things out on their own when they're very young they ask about everything that's like one of the principles of the pesach seder for the little, little children, we do all the changes we can do, so children should ask. Children always ask. They want to know this, they want to know, they inquire. And if you don't answer them, they ask again. And then you tell them, leave me alone already, right? Yeah, no, they ask another time. Children will ask and they'll ask and ask. And it's... Now, asking questions is the best way to learn. And learning is a quality of growth and development. Now, growth and development, as we spoke earlier, is more of a primary project once a person gets older. When you're very young, when you're very young, you're very attached to your parents. So it really should work the opposite. When you get older, you become a teenager, you should ask a lot, a lot of questions. And when you're very young, you shouldn't ask that many questions because then you're kind of like still, still simple, and yet we find that it's not that way. Children ask many, many questions. And then leading back to what we began in the, in the beginning of the class, is that in addition to the fact that children ask questions, children are restless. They, they do something for a few minutes and then they're onto something else and they're onto something else and they're running and they're doing and they're making, they can't sit, sit still. They're very jumpy and jittery. And today's days, parents medicate their children and do all kinds of things to like kind of figure out how to get their kids to sit through school. But kids are, I'm not getting into that. Good, not good, probably not so good. But sometimes it could be a little helpful if it's done, obviously, in the right measure. I'm not a child psychologist and not necessarily do I say that we always the child psychologist and knows everything. But in any case, the main thing is whatever it is, children are far more antsy than adults we all know that when you when you run a program for adults you can you can keep them in a room for a while when you jump for little kids you have to you have to always have something going like really really intense or else you'll lose them where does that come from based on what we just said it really originates in the spiritual it comes from our divine soul from our souls being children to god as we discussed earlier the child parent relationship between god and israel doesn't stop in just being attached with simple attachment that simple attachment needs to become developed 
into all facets of our life. That all aspects of our life should be excel and grow and become the most shining and brilliant and the most beautiful possible in terms of intellect and attention. Why? Because of that essential bond. Because God is coming through each and every one of us all the time. And that's the reason why God doesn't want to have ignorant children. He wants to have wise children. Because a piece of God should be wise like God is wise. Comes out that from the child element in our soul, from the very, very notion of being a child, comes the impetus and the drive to learn and to study. That's the reason why a soul is always asking questions. A soul is always wants to know. Souls are very inquisitive because they, they need to learn and they need to study and they need to know and they need to become intelligent. And you become intelligent through curiosity, through questions and through study. So souls are full of questions, not doubts. Questions, curiosity, always want to know and, 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 and want to know more. And that's also the reason for the restlessness. The restlessness is the opposite of being content. Restlessness represents the idea that there's drive. Whatever I have, I want more. I realize there's something really cool around the corner. There's something beyond the horizon. There's something there. I can't stop over here and just relax right over here. I need to climb up the mountain a little higher to see from that vantage point. And when I'm there, I realize there's a higher peak. I must climb over there. Sit down. Have a picnic, look out, eat your lunch, enjoy. No, something burning in me. I need to move over there. So obviously this is all subconscious. The reason there is a restlessness, the restlessness is because there is a drive. And it really in truth, what is that all rooted in? It's rooted in the fact that you're a godly being. And therefore you should never stop growing and developing. And since, here's the thing. And since our godlike nature, and that we are a piece of God from above is more expressed in when we are young, when we're, when we're a child. That's when that element in our relationship is more visible naturally. That's why this characteristic of that element inside of us is also more visible by children than by adults. In other words, our soul quality which comes from the fact that we are a continuation of God, a spark of God, a piece of God, is here by us always. If our soul can maintain that openly, that spark of divine consciousness, like when you are a little child, that spark of divinity is very, very, very unblocked, then our entire life would be a life of curiosity, of questions and continuous restlessness, a very good restlessness. The reason why most people don't have that to that degree once they pass their childhood is because the soul becomes obscured. We begin to develop an independence and a selfhood other than being a spark of God. So our childlike dimension of our soul is not so visible. So along with that goes our, 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 our divine drive for growth. If we do have a, a drive for growth, sadly, it becomes a human drive, not a godly drive. And as a human drive, it's never as powerful as a godly drive. 
So the restlessness of an adult will be less than the restlessness of a child. The curiosity of adult will be to a much lesser degree than the curiosity of a child. But this is such a phenomenal idea. And that's why the Lorebis says an interesting thing, that by Jewish children, which this, which by since the idea of child and, and, and parent with God is primarily in, in, in amongst and related to the souls of Israel, the souls of the Jewish people, it's by Jewish children that this restlessness and this curiosity is more intense. And from there, of course, it affects all of all of humanity and all of the rest of the world. Now we understand and we'll conclude conclude the entire talk that we had today. We, we will understand the reason why um, the ultimate quality is when we're again. So we'll understand or reconcile these two verses over here. It says my preeminent child over there. It says I love you because you're a young boy. The answer is as follows. When we are analyzing the love itself, the love of God to Israel, and we want to express that love, we highlight we highlight the relationship of us being a little infant, a little baby. Because as we said earlier, where do you see parent and, and child's love? Unobscured, unblocked, without anything to, to veil it, you see it in a, in a, in a, in a, in, with, a with a parent and, and a little baby. A mother and a father to their little baby, there is where you see the pure love uncut. But when the Torah is trying to express the identity of the Jewish people, What's our identity as a people? Who are we in truth? The Torah precisely says, you are a people. That you're my first preeminent child. What does that mean? You're my child. And through all of your achievements and all of your accomplishments and all development, you will shine. And what will come through, not you are great, not you are smart, not look at these people, they're so smart, brilliant. What will shine forth is the notion that you are a divine child, a prince and a princess. And a prince and a princess should be magnificently attractive of you. That's our identity as Jews. We have true impact on the world. Our wisdom has true impact. Our influence is infinitely more impact. When everything that we are doing is not a selfish or a not even just not selfish. It's not a independent accomplishment. When we bear in mind that we continuously are, are cognizant of the fact that there is a mission and we're carrying, we're a channel, we're in a, a funnel of the divine into this world. And all of that has to be because this is what God wants of us. And that's the way his light will shine with all of its purity. Then we are a, infinitely more potent and our influence in the world is so much greater and so much and there and and as a result of that so much more appreciated and loved and it doesn't cause in any way any discomfort or any kind any kind of jealousy or envy quite on the contrary it's welcomed because it's warm and it's beautiful because god is coming through the warm glow of god comes through when we get in the way, it starts becoming murky and ugly. When we don't get in the way and we allow it to be God's light shining through our faces and our and our and our wisdom and our whatever it is, then it's really, really attractive. 
it's really beautiful and it's welcome and it makes all the difference. So may we merit that we should recognize that and hopefully the rest of the world will recognize that. Mashiach will come. Mashiach is the ultimate child of Hashem and reveal and elevate all of the world and bring all of humanity together in one and um, everlasting happiness and joy, enlightenment and wisdom and goodness forever and ever. Thank you.